from pillar to post and coast to coast. This is a one-man gang. You're listening to a book. Hey, do you watch wrestling? Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ladies and gentlemen, this is the It's Time to Fight podcast, and my name is Matthew Terry, and I am the host of the It's Time to Fight podcast. Thank you so much for clicking on that play button. I appreciate every single click that that play button gets. Uh, Coming up soon is the Survivor Series, and Survivor Series is one of my go-tos. It's one of my can't-miss. I can actually miss a WrestleMania before I miss a Survivor Series. Survivor Series has a special place in my heart. Um, I was, let me see, 1987. So 10-year-old Matthew, um, when they came up when they came up with the concept and the inception of Survivor Series. And maybe that's why it has a special place in my heart. I don't know. But something I was thinking about recently... This year, they don't have, as as I'm recording this, they don't have any traditional uh, Survivor Series matches. Teams of four, teams of five, striving to survive, as the uh, the call used to be. Um, I, I guess this year, we kind of have the opposite. You know, back in the day, the tradition was two, two teams in the ring, and then one by one, we send them to the locker room. Um, this year, I guess we have two teams, and one by one, we're sending them to the ring until... All the teams are in the ring, and then hey, let's get the party started. Um, which okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a little side note here. I am one of those people who we don't need two war games matches. We don't need two war games. We don't need two Royal Rumbles. We don't need two or three elimination chambers. Two or three Hell in a Cell matches. I am one of those people. You know, condemn me if you will. That if you see it once, you've kind of taken the luster off for the one that's going to be later in the night. That's just me. Anyway, so this year we have the War Games, and you know I'm all for that. I'm not going to miss it. Going to watch it. I'm, I'm intrigued to see it. But I am more of a fan of the traditional Survivor Series matches, and not only am I more of a fan of the traditional Survivor Series matches, I'm more of a fan of the old-school uh, traditional Survivor Series matches for the simple reason that back in the day, if you will, um, like uh, the it's not upper tier hanging with upper tier and middle tier hanging with middle tier. Then it was a combination. And to me, I don't know if this was by design, but that that meant something to 10, 11, 12 year old Matthew. Like this year, let's let's look at this. Let's look at the War Games team this year. Or for example, um, Seth Rollins. I don't know who the captain is, but let's say Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, Randy Orton, Sami Zayn, and Jey Uso. These are all upper tier guys. I know some people might say Jey Uso is not an upper tier guy. 
Yes, he is to me. To me, he's an upper-tier guy. He has spent the last two or three years, you know, running with the big dogs, no pun intended. Um, he's a main event guy. To me, he is. Whereas, I'm, I'm just going to open up one of these anthologies just to give you an example. Um, this is from the 1988 one. I just opened this up randomly. So 1988, um, Ultimate Warrior, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Sam Houston, the Blue Blazer, and Jim Brunzel. If you're from my generation, you understand this even more. But if not, take my word for it when I say Sam Houston, the Blue Blazer, who, don't get me wrong, was Owen Hart, uh, and Jim Brunzel are interacting with the Ultimate Warrior. Theoretically, the Ultimate Warrior, the Intercontinental Champion, has asked Sam Houston, the Blue Blazer, and Jim Brunzel to be on his Survivor Series team to go against his rival, the Honky Tonk Man, and his team of Danny Davis, Greg Valentine, Ron Bass, and Bad News Brown. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, I don't know if it was by design, but 10-year-old, or I guess 11-year-old Matt uh, in 1988 is seeing this and like these guys are hanging out with how bad can these guys possibly be? And I think that's the same year. I'm just going to, yes, it is. Okay. I'm going to tell you the, another match on this card. Jake, the snake Roberts, hacksaw, Jim Duggan, Ken Patera, El Matador, Tito Santana, and Scott freaking Casey. And I say Scott freaking Casey. A lot of you, if you don't know who Scott Casey is, I understand. Scott Casey was the preliminary guy, or he was a preliminary guy. Like, didn't win a lot, but I loved Scott Casey because he was just this tough-looking guy, like thick, strong guy who gave who gave the, the 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 name talent, if you will, gave them a good run. And I liked Scott Casey. He looked like a wrestler, and I liked him. And I remember when Jake the Snake Roberts theoretically to me, to 11-year-old Matt Terry, asked Scott Casey to be on his Survivor Series team. Holy crap, how bad can Scott Casey possibly be if Jake the Snake Roberts is asking him to be on his Survivor Series team? Now, now that I'm older, I know that that wasn't the case. And in fact, in my memory bank, I think something happened where... Jake had someone else that was supposed to be on his team and they didn't show up or something, and Scott ended up being the partner. But still, to 11-year-old Matthew, Scott Casey was asked by Jake the Snake Roberts to be on his Survivor Series team. Uh, like, and, and they don't do that anymore. They, they haven't done that in years. They haven't used... Okay, I was just going to say, they haven't used the Survivor Series to really give someone a rub but you know what one of the best I saw was at the Survivor Series um, Roman Reigns eliminating Keith Lee for the, the for the final elimination and you know the 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 thumbs up or the the fist bump or whatever it was they did I thought that was amazing I don't think they capitalized on that but I thought it was amazing personally I thought that was something that they could have capitalized on um but, you know, if, if if I knew what I was talking about, I'd probably be a much richer man and, you know, doing a heck of a lot more in wrestling. Although, don't get me wrong, I am very, very happy and very, very proud of what I've been able to do. Um, another thing that they did, and I, I read his name, Bad News Brown. I want to check something here. 
And I'm going off on a, on a, on a side note here again. Um, Bad News Brown in 1988. I'm quickly going through here to see if I can find him again. He, um, I know he did it year after year. Where is he? Randy Savage, Dino Brower, Earthquakes. Right, Melinda, uh, he wasn't in that match. He wasn't in the main event. Or, uh, he wasn't in the Hogan match. Uh, Mr. Perfect, Rougeau Brothers. Uh, no, the Rude Brood. Rowdy, Ravishing Recruit, Mr. Perfect, and the Rougeau Brothers. Sean Mooney. I could have swore he was on this one here. I must be missing him. I'm, I wanted to talk about Bad News Brown because there was a spot. Oh, there he is. 1989. He's with Honky Tonk Man again, which now I find more interesting. Uh, let me see if he's on the next one. Uh, I know he's not there because that's uh, 1990 is The Undertaker's debut. Uh, the Visionaries, the, the Model Rick Martel, Power and Glory, and The Warlord. Uh, no. Earthquake, Dino Bravo, Haku, and The Barbarian. Uh, Nikolai Volkov, Sergeant Slory, Boris, Sukhoff, Warren Express. Maybe not. Um, maybe it's Maybe he's back in 1991. Well, my, I'm, I'm going off here. Um, Bad News Brown, every year, or maybe it was just two years. I, th- I could have swore it was three. Oh, well, I'm going to stop looking. There was a spot that they did, and they did the same thing the next year. And I see, I had some midnight shifts lately. That's one of the reasons I bought the anthology, was that I could sit there and, and watch these movies while I did my work. Um, there was a spot that they did where... This uh, Bad News Brown is holding someone, and I know the first year, Greg Valentine bounces off the ropes, and he goes to hit whoever Bad News Brown is holding. The guy drops. He hits Bad News Brown. Bad News Brown, what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing, man? And and then and he pushes Valentine. Valentine pushes him back because Greg Valentine didn't take shit from anybody. And you know then they started pushing each other, and then you know Bad News Brown was like, you know, screw y'all, and I'm leaving. And he would leave, and... They always they always prefaced it, but oh, bad news, Brown. He doesn't like to play well with others. I don't know how he's gonna how he's gonna be here. And there was an elimination of bad news, Brown. That's how you eliminate ba- bad news, Brown. That's how you kept him strong. I remember number one. I remember that they did that two years in a row, the exact same spot, but it was with Honky Tonk Man. Now that I notice, so maybe Honky Tonk Man talked him into coming back the second year. Um, but there, you kept him strong because he, you know, screw you. You know, you told me everything was going to be okay. Now you're punching me in the face. Go screw yourself. But I remember something that that also Bad News Brown did. He left, never looked back. Never, not once did he look back and even say just like, you know what, screw you all and, you know, all that. No, he just walked out. Just walked out. Referees tried to stop him. Officials tried to stop him. And he just told them, like, get out of my way, get out of my way. Not once did he look back. Nowadays, if somebody, like, you know, I'm walking away on you. I'm walking out on you. They turn around. They give him that menacing look like, I just walked out on you. No, Bad News Brown was like, you know what? I'm. You punched me in the face. I'm going to go to the locker room. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to take my shower. You know, screw you all. You know, I still get paid. Anyway, I've ranted too much. I, I know I can ramble uh, quite a bit. Um, but you know what? I've already wasted, or I have been wasted time because I don't think what I said just was wasted. But. You know, I'm almost 11 minutes in already. I'm not going to waste any more time, ladies and gentlemen. This week, I have old school Jim Connolly. I've known Jim for years. Nice guy, well-respected in many, many wrestling circles. Um, Very good referee. Very good referee. And he's got some great stories, and he shares them with us here on the show today. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to waste any more time. It's time to fight with old school Jim Connolly. Um, thanks a lot for doing this. I do appreciate it. And you're someone that I've been wanting to get on for a long time. And it's just, it's always kind of in the back of my head. Like you got to ask old school. You got to ask old school. You got to ask old school. And one of the things is, is that you have done several of these things. So I don't like to, if someone's done it over here to, to immediately do it here. So, but every time you pop on one of these podcasts, I'm like, ah, crap, I wanted to ask him. Well, now I got to wait. And then you go on another podcast. And then it's just like, oh, I wanted to ask old school. And then, yeah, I'd, I'd wait. But this time, I was just like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just get them on the show. Yay. I'm glad. <laughs> so um, as is kind of the, I don't want to say tradition around here, we kind of like to set a baseline. Uh, old school, where where were you born and where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Willowdale, Ontario at Finch and Young when there was a cinder path and a two-lane road wasn't the big highway. I was two blocks away from Young Street. So I mean, Finch and Young, basically. And that would have been in 1954. So I lived in there for, you know, in different houses for 30 years and then moved to Barrie for 30 years. And now I'm in beautiful Elmville and I'll do my last 30 years there. <laughs> you hope your last 30. Well, yeah. That was that, if, if we keep joke the, there. <laughs> well, yeah. But if you keep the Zumba up, do you keep the yeah. Zumba up? Did it this morning. You did it this morning? I did All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get around to the Zumba. All righty. All right, so growing up, like what, what was mom and dad doing? Well, my parents were really um, old when I was born. I was an only child. I was born uh, when they were both 47. And back in 1954, that was pretty amazing. So yeah. my dad passed away at 59. So um, I was 12, I believe, at the time. So uh, my mom left. She was 97, so she... It's only about 20, less than 20 years ago that she passed away. So, yeah, it was an interesting childhood. Um, I coached baseball, and I'm really all over the place right now. But I'll tell you about connecting with wrestling a little bit. I said in Willowdale, I was three blocks away from this young kid that I coached on baseball. I, I coached rep baseball. And his name was Elio Zarlenga. And you might have heard of him because he ended up being the right-hand man for Jack Tunney. But he came to my house. I can't believe I let them do this because I was about 19 or 18, and he would have been 14 or something, but I was the coach. So uh, he, he said he liked wrestling, and I brought him to my place, and I showed him newsletters. And uh, he'd never heard of newsletters before. And we're talking before Meltzer. Okay. Ronald Dobrotz and this Chicago one, and uh, some of the guys out, out west um, uh, whose name escapes me, and I've even I, I've met him a few times, but that's – Sort of what, so I brought up in, in a, a hotbed of wrestling. I had a friend over the other day um, from my public school, but his uncle at the time was Merv McKenzie, the athletic rec, uh, commissioner. So we got free tickets. So my high school was, you know, Finch and Young by myself most times going down to the gardens Sunday night. Um, you know, because why wouldn't a 14 year old go down alone to the Maple Leaf Gardens at eight o'clock at night on a Sunday? And uh, it was a different time. And so I was able to see them all the greats from the last, you know, half century, to be honest. My little yeah. I saw him and Harley Race's first defenses in 73 and uh, against Jack Briscoe and some of those great matches. So um, where I grew up really affected, you know, how I loved wrestling, fell in love with wrestling. So, 
So you fell into in love with wrestling with these newsletters, or you had the newsletters? Well, I had the newsletters, yeah, because I had fall like I was that kind of fan. I was already oh, in, okay. Uh, 1970 i guess it would be 73 74 75 i was already getting newsletters and before there were really newsletters they used to say that elio's newsletter was the sort of a change i think even Meltzer admitted that that because um elio used to actually put in his opinion where most people didn't it was more or less just clippings and um results kind of thing um okay. elio started you know he had an opinion, and he, he still does. You know? So you don't want to hear him talk about indie wrestling right now because he's not a big fan. But, uh, yeah, so we became friends, and uh, just, just things led to one thing to another. So, yeah, it was a great oh. growth, great uh, childhood. That might be a great transition into, like, uh, like mainstream coverage now compared to then because then it was more of a news story. It wasn't... It, it kind of it fell under the sports page. It didn't fall under the entertainment page. One hundred percent. In fact, uh, every Sunday we would look. If I didn't get to the card, and I'm I can do it to you, but I can't show the audience. But maybe a um, um, I'm thinking I'm going to do inches. Sorry, guys. Uh, three inches by three inches, little thing saying so and so over so and so, and that's the that was the results. There was no. I think years later, maybe two, 10 years later, I'm, I'm, my dates are hard, but like 70, late 70s, early 80s, probably early 80s, then Frank Ziccarelli and a few guys actually got to write columns and things in the major newspapers. But otherwise, it was that. Once in a while, it was pretty exciting because CTV in Toronto, once in a while, would show a clip on Sunday night. You, you know, at maybe 11.45, you'd get that clip of, 30 seconds of the Sheik in the main event, and you'd be so excited, but you'd be waiting just to see that 30-second clip. That was the kind of coverage we used to get. So you can see why, you know, me being in the ring, I, I'm flabbergasted at because they just don't get where it is now. I could learn how to wrestle by looking at the Internet now. I mean, basically, yeah. I mean, you can learn everything, you know. So it's just a different time, and it was a great time because before the Internet, um, of course, kayfabe was kind of real. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, this is not a pat on my back, but I mean, I, I'm a, you know, I've got a couple of university degrees and I, I'm not the dumbest guy in the world, but I had that doubt. Like it, I knew there was something about it, but I had that doubt, that sense of disbelief when I watched a match where I, I would talk to my, bring my friends down and they'd go, this is the dumbest thing ever. And I'd go, no, but he really got hurt. And the mat is not that thick. And then and I would just go on and on defending it. So, yeah, I, I, I think it was just my youth, but I, I remember that just, it was kind of like the Santa Claus effect, just like, yep. no, no, it's, it's real. No, no, yep. it's real. Yeah. Um, but that, again, that was pre-internet. Honestly, truly, um, I'm 45 years old and I know I'm jumping ahead. But when I went into the dressing room the first time, my first matches, I learned stuff that I didn't know, which I'm not going to repeat because I'm not going to play this 100% kayfabe. But there's things I just walked in and went, what? Huh? And I didn't know anything. And uh, I walked in there not, still thinking that there's a sense of reality to this. There's a real side to this. So. You know, that's how either dumb I was or naive or just wishful thinking. Yeah. I, 
like with I know with this podcast, I talk to a lot of people and I talk to them out of character and everything, but still there's still a few that I just think like, no, no, like scale it back a little bit. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because I I do like when I ring announce, I don't like to know the results. I like to have still have an element of being a fan. And especially like on the indie scene, if yeah. if they don't have a quote unquote story on the go, just watching two wrestlers. Yeah. And I I I don't like to know the results for two reasons. Number one, want to watch it as a fan. Yeah. Number two, I knew the finish of a match one time and it was an Alessandro Del Bruno match. Yeah. And Del Bruno hit the finish because I had read the finish. So he hit the finish and then I reached over and I grabbed my microphone. He hadn't even gone in for the pin yet. And I reached for the microphone. And then as I pulled it towards me, it dawned on me what I had just done. And I kind of put it back down. And then Del Bruno got the three. But then a fan actually said that to me and said, I saw you grab the microphone. And I was just like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, it's true. And, and I mean, I think referees probably have it. Uh, and announcers, of course. Um, but we have kind of that feeling because if I'm going to, I'm working Friday night and as I'm driving to the arena, I have no idea what the results are. Mm. Like I haven't talked ad nauseum to each other on the internet, planning all this and that and the other thing. And when I go out there, I really don't know a lot that's going on or what's going to happen. I really don't. And, uh, you know, especially when you walk in, a wrestler does that. They're concentrated on that 15 minutes or 10 minutes. That's it. I mean, they've, they've planned. They've done it. I go in there, and a lot of times I have three to five matches. So I can't afford to spend a lot of time with that match, which wrestlers don't understand. Mm-hmm. And to this day, they do not understand at all that, you know, I'm you're one of my five matches. I screwed up. Sorry. Maybe you should have told me this, that, anything. You know, maybe you know, maybe it wasn't all my screw up. Maybe you should have told me a little bit more than or what you wanted. If I, you know, I mean, I don't know how kayfabe you are, but I mean, if I'm looking at a headlock and you're choking the guy, you know, and pulling away and trying to hide it from me, well, am I supposed to find it eventually? Am I supposed to catch it, or am I not supposed to catch it? Like, I don't know. If you have a foreign object, if you haven't told me ahead of time, am I supposed to see it? Am I not supposed to see it? So I'll always, you know, tell them. I said I, I was a big Johnny Carson fan. So I said Johnny Carson's rule of threes. I said ever. I said uh, I will give you a warning for two, and the third time I'm always going to catch you. <laughs> you know, so I, uh, I've done a little bit of refereeing, and I, I don't. It's not that I don't like refereeing. I don't think I fit into refereeing, only because I'm a bigger guy. I yep. don't like referees that are bigger than the wrestlers. I think and, that's you know that's hard not to be bigger than the wrestlers. It is, especially these days. <laughs> yes, you heard my, you caught my sarcasm there. Oh no, no, no. Yes, I from day one when they said Matt, can you referee? Like, yeah, but I'm like twice the size of that guy. Like I'm 185, and I've been 185 for most of my career. Although you know I was a little bit lower, a little higher here, but 185 is basically I shouldn't be towering over these guys. In my humble opinion, yeah. To me, two thirty is a lightweight. Yeah, that, that's the way I was brought up. Yeah. So the and, idea that I mean, I've, I've been accused of that a ton, and uh, because I'm way bigger than the wrestlers and all that stuff. But I always go, yeah, but I'm also thirty years older. So I mean, yeah. there's that too. So, like, I walk around at two forty. Yeah. So, and I, one thing I 
would try to do to combat it is I was kind of like, if I could stand in one place, and it's like, of course, you always have to be moving, but if I could stand in one place, I'd like crouch down, put my hands on my knees, just yep. so like I got just that little bit smaller. I do that on a suplex. If you ever watch me do, if any, I see anybody do a suplex, I will duck down and go, but that's to make them look bigger and make it, you know, but that's just something I did on my own. I don't know what, you know, I haven't been taught a lot about wrestling, by the way. I just thought I'd tell you that. I mean, I was, Oh, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> well, I, I know I go ahead. I, I was a teacher, so I like to chat. No, no worries. No worries. No worries. I'll let you ask me. Um, like, and you were talking about, you know, people not letting you in on stuff. I've told, I think I've told this story before on the podcast. Um, I know it was Rex Atkins. I would bet money. It was Zach Atticus was his opponent, but not a lot of money. Yeah. And I went to them and I said, what's the finish? And they told me. And then they had decided, like there was a, not a ref bump, but there was like a, a ref nudge. Like, yep. you know, they did something that just kind of like whack and hit me in the head yep. and yep. I wasn't out, but I was just like, oh, crap, my head, you know, holding yep. my eye and stuff. So they said, you don't do that. And then we're going to do this, this, this finish. Like, OK, great. Yep. So then I leave. What they did was they decided, you know what? We'll go to the finish off this hit of the ref. So they did this and I kind of turned around like, oh, crap, because then Zach is supposed to do something. If it's Zach, I'm pretty sure it was Zach. Yeah, he's supposed to like rake the eyes, or he's supposed to go to kick him under the in the between the legs, or something like that. But what they did was, oh, now it's coming back to me, kind of. Is they hit, they did this thing where it kind of whacked me in the head, and I turned around like, oh crap, my head. And then he went to do something, and Rex turned and turned into a small package. Except they didn't tell me. So I'm sitting there, and I'm selling my head. I'm giving him like 10, 15 seconds to do whatever the heck he wants to do nefariously. And all I hear is like, count, count. I, I turned around. I'm just like, oh, like one, and two, and three. And then like that. And I'm sitting there like, did I, did I miss something? And I'm like, no, like we talked about this. Yeah. And then in the back, I think Rex is like, you know, why didn't you count? I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me I'm supposed to? You told me there was supposed to be this, this, and this. Now, Rex, you know, Rex, like Rex is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have my favorite you. human on in Ontario. Just say yeah. Between oh, Bia he is. And Rex, those are my two favorites. Who's? I'm sorry. Um, who's the first one? Bia, of course. Oh, Bia, Bia. Yeah, yeah just Rex. So I have a similar story. I'm in Barrie, and this is years ago, and um, I think it was Carter Mason. Once again, the second person I can't remember. So it's Carter Mason, I think, and I'm almost sure it was, and Ruffy Silverstein, who's absolutely one of my favorite people. And uh, exactly the same. The worst thing in the world is a referee to hear that's going to be a roll-up. Because what the hell does that mean? And in the old days, a small package was a finish just out of nowhere. But now it's, you know, you do a, you know, you pile drive, you know, we work Josh Alexander. He's like a pile driver and a thing, and that's not even the finish. Kick out at two. Yeah. So um, the finish was a roll-up. And I said, no. Ruffy, we've worked together. There's no way. You, what are you going to do so I know? And he couldn't think. And I said, how about a victory roll from the shoulders? And he says, yes, that's good. We'll do roll up, roll up, victory roll, one, two, three. Beautiful. So I go there and they rolled it up and I went one, two, and rolled up again. One, two, rolled up again. One, two, rolled up again. And all of a sudden, Ruffy was, what the fuck's going on? And uh, I was going, you said victory roll. Oh, yeah, forgot. We changed it on the way out. 
well, you know, and once again, I look bad, you know, but, you know, he had to, you know, Ruffy's was a good guy. He just afterwards just went, you're right. You're right. You're right. We should have made it clear. We did. So he's a good guy. He's, a lot of them aren't. They just yell first. And then, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, and, and I'm not, I'm not putting them down, but you are kind of interfering with their art or with their craft. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, like what's, what the heck did you do? But, but you have to remember, they are the thespians. They're the actors. Yes. While yes. they're doing acting, I'm doing improv. Yeah, exactly. And, and I was going to ask you, but yeah. I was going to yeah. ask you about the improv element yeah. where I, when I did do refereeing, I ran into one company that told me just referee the match. Yeah. And I'm like, eh, like really you want me to, to just referee the match? Like they, they didn't want to tell me the finish. They didn't want to tell me anything. And he was so strict about if they don't get their shoulders up, that's their own damn fault. Yep. If, if it like just referee what you see. Yep. And cause I'm asking them to give me this. And if they don't, that's their own dumb fault. Yep. You ever run into that? When I first came in, Ron Hutchison was who I broke in with, and uh, he was more or less, if they don't get their shoulders up, count to three. However, when they say that, and Ron's a very good friend of mine, do I believe it? No, because they've got a program. They've got investment into this program. They know who they want to win. Um, have I counted the people that weren't supposed to win? Yeah. I've made every mistake in the book, and actually – well, no, we'll get into that later. But I'm just saying, I've made every mistake in the book. I've been yelled at by every wrestler in the thing. Um, uh, that I might name names, but we'll wait till later. But yeah, I, I've been yelled at. My first year, I quit after 10, 20 matches because somebody just yelled and screamed at me. And I'm going, I was a professional. I was a teacher for 30 years. I I haven't been yelled at since, well, I don't remember ever being yelled at. So this whole business, um, you know, if you're a young person listening in or want to be a referee, well, you better have thick skin, which I don't have. I'm very emotional and um, only over relationships because you get to know these guys over a decade and those guys would never, you know, they get mad. I get, I've had more apologies, you know, two page letters the day after saying this is stupid. Uh, Jake O'Reilly wrote me once because we worked together a lot. And uh, one day, I don't know why, I guess I screwed up something. And I, he was just yelling at me and everything. And then the day later, he just says, you know what? We're two guys fighting in our underwear. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> but he gets so heated because you're right. You're right. He's a professional. Mm -hmm. He's one of my favorite wrestlers still is to this day. We, we, we had heat, I guess, if you want to call it that. But we made peace. And um, I've reffed him a few times since. And it's just, you know, we uh, have, you know, agree to disagree some about some things. But uh, like you say about, you know, I get a lot of hassle about the, um, you know, just referee because I'm sorry, I've got a personality. And I think, you know, I, I've told a lot of people, I mean, I'm trying, actually, I actually don't think I've repeated a story. I think these are all original stories I've told you, but this one I've said before, um, I couldn't get work because I'm looking around going, I'm freaking old. Like yeah. I started at 45. This is crazy. I started teaching at 31. My parents were 47 when I was born. There's something about late in my family. But um, I started at 45, and then all of a sudden, I, I, one day I just went, let's use my negative. I'm old school. I'm old. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, all of a sudden my bookings doubled really quickly, uh, and I, I had a character. So I said, I very seldom do any shtick in the, in the ring. I smile, I smooth with the fans before, I smooth with them after. 
I might do a little little something for the kids out there if I see something. But when the match starts, I generally don't do any acts. It's because I'm old. They react to my age. So if I do a little dance or something, they'll think they think that's funny. And I get criticized sometimes for that, but not as much as some people. And um, as I say, I try to do my job. That's the number one thing I try to do. Um, and that's, you know, as I say, I'm going to try to let you ask me questions. Cause I go well, my, my thin skin moment was... And and I've come to terms with it now. I have, I've never actually told the story. Um, oh. Was with Cody Deaner. Oh wow! And an MCW show. And I will swear to this very day, it was uh, like an eight man tag. Yep. And I, I, Nick came to me from from MCW, and he said, "Can you referee?" And I said, "And and Nick knows I don't like to referee." But they didn't have any other referees, and I refereed the whole night. And I just, I didn't want to referee. I don't like to referee. And I always tell people, like, listen, keep, kiss it, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Simple, like, just stupid, yep. don't, don't expect me to, to, you know, A, B, C, D, E, just A, B, done. And Cody is great. Yep. And that's partially the reason that I've come to terms with it now. Yep. But, I will swear to this day that Cody said, follow him. Yeah. It was like Cody said, don't worry. Like, we'll keep it simple and, you know, just listen to me and, and everything. And he said, follow him. I don't know who the him was. And again, you and I are having trouble with opponents. Yeah. But he said, follow him. So I turned to go, but behind me, something nefarious was happening. Right. And Cody grabbed me and turned me back around. That's fine. And he's like, no, follow him. I swear to God. God, he said, follow him. Yeah. So I'm thinking that's what I'm doing. So I turn around again. Cody grabs me again. He insists that he said, follow me. Yeah. That's not what I heard twice. Yeah. yeah. But when he turned me around, he said, not just to me, he said it loud enough for people in the crowd to hear it. Yeah. Like, fuck, man, don't you even watch wrestling? And someone in the crowd jokingly said, yeah, man, don't you fucking watch wrestling? Yeah. And it's just, I, it was just one of those, I didn't ask to be here, man. Yeah. And like, you see, that's the thing. I mean, I can give you that story four times over. That happens all the time. And I'm going to tell you right now, uh, be gentle on yourself because, and, and I know you weren't, and you drove home and felt like shit all night. Like, you don't even have to tell me because I know you did. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I do. Uh, and it happened to me within a year ago because that's why I quit. That's why I you know, quit for a while. I've retired from regular refereeing as though yeah. I did on spot show. I did MCW the last show. One match just because I wanted to work with Bia one more time. And I'm trying to do fair shows, just the odd match here and there. because I, that, Then I might enjoy it again. I haven't enjoyed it lately. But I, you know, when I think about it, the run-ins I've had, like the famous WWE stars, the famous, I've never had a problem with them. In fact, I've gotten compliments from them because you were mentioning that it made me think of the Rikishi story. And I'm not dropping names, but yeah, I am. All right, Rikishi. Yeah, because I was, you know, <laughs> I went to him in a tag team, and uh, I do know who the opponents there, but I'm not even going to tell you. It doesn't really matter. Okay. But I went to him. He was in the corner, and I said to him, I said, um, "You know what? I bet you those other guys are." just beating on that guy the opponents and i can't see a thing because i'm standing here chatting with you and then and i'm just doing this the whole time so i get in the dressing room rikishi just looks at me come here kid 
<laughs> and I'm probably 20 years older than him. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, you know what? You had fun out there. If we're not having fun, what the hell are we doing in this ring? But you know what? There's a lot of wrestlers out there that wouldn't say that. Oh, yeah. Be mad that I'd be talking and goofing off. And I try to have fun. I try to entertain myself out there. I remember the first time I worked with Tid, he just said, do you ever shut up? He whispered to me. And I said, well, not really. It's kind of fun out here. I'm having a good time. Because I narrate the match a lot of times. At least I did in the mid-eight, you know, the 10 years ago, 20, you know, not so much now. But um, if it isn't fun, why do you do it? It's not a fun job. Refereeing isn't fun. Like what you're saying, everything here. Do you think I went into my, you know, hey, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I want to referee wrestling. Of course not. I want to be a wrestler like everybody else. But I didn't do it. There wasn't the opportunities. There wasn't the internet. I didn't know where there was a school. I didn't drive. I just didn't know. Could have I wrestled? I don't know because now that I've seen it from the other side, I don't know if I have the thick skin to be able to to follow through. I just don't know. Um, I've been so lucky in my career to be able to train at 63 years old and have a couple of matches, which was thrilling to death. Uh, Cody Diener was one of the ones who I worked with, which was really nice because he micromanaged the match so much that I was able to do it. And he is a tough guy to work for. I mean, I tell you that now. So that's what I was going to say. Be gentle on yourself. Cody is tough because... He is one of those guys who has planned that match to the nth degree and he knows exactly what he wants. And uh, there's a couple like that. Ethan Page was like that. Ethan Page and I have had heat a lot, but I think I'm on a pretty long list of people he's had heat with. Yeah. However, um, yeah, Ethan and I had a big problem one night and uh, it was just a misunderstanding. And it was one of those nights that I didn't want to ref. Mm-hmm. And it was the kind of thing I'd done my three matches and I tried to get out of it. And I just said, I, I'm not at a point that I can work with Josh and Ethan as a tag team. I just, they're just too good. Yeah. I was down and I did, and I handled it poorly and they wanted to talk to me and I didn't understand that. I left the arena angry because I knew I didn't do a good job. I was in a horrible mood. I just wasn't feeling well physically or mentally. And it was one of those things. So we got heat for a while, but you know what? The next show I made sure I ran over and got him a water and then he just broke out laughing. <laughs> and I, I think I kneeled. Yeah. And then the last time was a year ago with Josh and I just, it was Josh and easy E and Wells. I couldn't keep up. I was a beat behind the whole match. Yeah. And I, I've often on refereed since COVID, but, not really like I used to. I was doing, you know, eight shows a month before COVID, eight shows a month easily, yeah. and at least 200 matches a year. And I was in better shape. And uh, I was, you know, I know 65, 68 was the difference, but between 65, 68 is a big difference. And, um, you know, I'm reffing at Greek Town, I'm reffing at Demand Lucha, who are some of the best wrestlers in the world and uh, keeping up with them with no problem. But I was so hurt. Is Josh yelled at me during the match, and I've known Josh standing in line at a UWA show. Yeah, where I heard him overheard him saying he's training, and I said, "Hi, I'm Jim. I referee." Oh, hi, and we were friends ever since he was a kid. Yeah, you know, I, I refereed a Jay Phoenix match, but so I'm just saying, uh, you know, we were friends forever. So it hurt me so much because I let him down. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, I don't know if he thinks I'm mad or whatever, but no, I let him down, and I felt so bad. I quit all my bookings right there and then. And um, because I get very emotional, I get to, I, I suffer depression. And, uh, you know, just like a lot of people do, not pointing, you know, 
narrowing it down just to me, but it was like, uh, I was sad and, uh, I just didn't, I lost my passion for a while and, and I'm starting to get it back. I don't think I can ever go back to a full-time schedule. If I could do two shows a month, I'd be so happy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as I say, I'm doing one this weekend. We'll see how it goes. And, but yeah, but I mean, yeah, as I say, if it's a good match, one of the wrestlers will take the credit. If it's a really good match, both wrestlers will take the credit. Yeah. If it's a bad match, it's usually somebody else's fault. I I take myself very seriously, even with the ring announcing, or I shouldn't say even with the ring announcing, but with the ring announcing. Yeah, absolutely. And I messed up something with Hornswoggle, <laughs> where um, he wanted the microphone. Mark Wheeler had attacked him. Okay. And he came up to me like during the match because he was in a tag match and he came up to me and he had already said like after the match, I'm going to ask for the microphone. So he comes up to me and he goes, when's the next show? Like this is during the match. I said, <laughs> I, I don't know. I said, it's, it's, it's whatever the date is. Like it's April. And I said, I don't, I don't know what the date is. And he's like, find out what the date is. I said, okay. So he goes off to do his thing. So the match ends. He calls for the mic. I walk over and I had found out that it was the 18th. I think it was April 18th. And he says, when's the date? I said 18th. He heard 16th. So he's like, Mark Wheeler, April 16th. And I kind of just said like 18th. And he's like, what? And he kind of like looks at me and I said, it's the 18th. Well, Colt Cabana standing there. Oh. And Colt, Colt goes, well, is it the 16th or the 18th? And like, you know, like they're playing it up. And Hornswog is like, the 18th. And Colt's, Colt's like, I thought he said the 16th. No, he said the 18th. And like, and now they're going back and forth. And it, it turned into kind of like, and finally Hornswog is like, Shit, Mark Wheeler, the show in April. And like, so the, <laughs> everybody gets a laugh. But I felt bad that he didn't hear me properly. Right. That's how micro. Yep. As am I am. Yep. Yep. I'm just can, like, I didn't do I, that. Right. I can assure the audience that Matthew Terry is a perfectionist. I remember you were trying to do a, I have never felt so bad in my life because at MCW, we were trying to do some kind of, might've been for your podcast or some kind of video or something. And you were trying to get me to do something and I didn't get it. And you were so mad at me. And uh, I don't remember what it was, but it was like, I was going, I'm trying my best. <laughs> I didn't know what to say, but that's in my head. I'm going, I'm trying my best. I just don't understand. And I'm trying my best. I don't, I'm old. I'm old. I, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what segment it was I that we were doing. Either. But yeah, but I, I don't see myself being, if I was, then. No, no, but I can see on you. Gotta yeah. remember kids for years, so I sort of identified. You know, you're all kids to me. Like everybody's just a classroom. This whole world is a classroom. I put you, but you were one of those ones. I went, oh, this guy's a perfectionist, which is awesome because that's. I mean, you've got to be a perfectionist to be good. Cody yeah. Deaner is a perfectionist. Tyson Dukes is a perfectionist. Yeah. Uh, Tim Page, whether you know, he's an he he's a tough guy to work for, but he's a perfectionist. And look where he is, Josh. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. Know, not a negative thing to say. Colt Cabana was hard to work with because. He's a perfectionist, and comedians, comedy uh, wrestlers, a lot of times, comedy is a serious business, uh, and and uh, the you know comedy is all timing. So when I worked with him once, you know, the timing was a little bit off, and he was saying nasty things under his breath because the timing that I was doing was a little bit off. Because of course they involved me. By the way, 
I hate being involved in stuff. I want to go in the ring, count three, go home. Put raise the I can't even raise their hands anymore. They throw their hand away all the time now. Yeah. Wrestling's just changed that much. But I mean, like, yeah, they want to involve me in all these things. And I keep going, you know, I used to watch Maple Leaf Garden wrestling. I go down. These kind of things would happen once in a lifetime. Um, I remember a, a little shtick. I'm going way back to the 70s now. And it was Pat Flanagan was the referee. And a guy named George Canales was the other referee. And they were, all I can remember is it was a, a, a match with the Miller brothers, Dr. Big Ben Miller and uh, Danny Miller. And whatever happened, they lost. So they're mad. Well, Pat Flanagan is about 280 pounds and not in a good way. And he's probably 50, 60 years old. And George Canales is a small, little, short, fat guy. Well, damned if George Canales doesn't put Danny Miller into a hammer, into a, a full Nelson. And Pat Flanagan, 280 pounds, did the smoothest uh, savat kick I've seen in a long, like mule kick, I guess they call it back in those days. I almost wet my pants. I'd never seen a referee do anything other than count to three. I was so excited. It was the most exciting thing I've ever seen. Now they're involving me in shtick every other match. It might be twice on a show, let alone, you know, once every, you know, four shows or eight shows or 10 shows or two years. Like, yeah. so it gets to be, you know, it gets to be old and that puts pressure on me. I just want to do the improv thing. Like, let me react. I'll do the count. Look, most, I mean, it should be easy. It should be easy. You know, give your, I remember there was another one I did and uh, I can picture the guy, but I can't picture, I can't remember his name. But he did a. He wanted me to. Do, the finish was this this move, and I'm dying here because I can't remember the name of the move. But it was a. Doesn't matter what it is. Uh, the the X factor, which it wasn't, but let's just call it the X factor. I don't know. And um, so, ba ba ba. They're fighting. Ba da da. He does the X factor. I go one, two, three. Oh, not that one. Oh, two only. Two only. Shit. <laughs> but not that one. What do you? Yeah. What? Be specific. Explain. You gotta get be clear. So yeah, it, it, it's tough. And uh, of course, Cody. I shouldn't give that. That's no. I'm not gonna say it. Never mind. I love Cody. He's great. Oh no, I love Cody too. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll tell you off camera. <laughs> you, you were talking like perfectionist, and I can definitely say, with all honesty, Cody and Ethan, the two people we just talked about, yep, yep. are two people who never micromanaged me. Like Ethan, I saw him micromanage and in a good way, Alpha One. Yep. How he wanted things, yep. the timing, the the feeling, the everything. Yep. But with me, and he start and he did this very early, and he didn't come right out and say it, but just very early, it was just like, here's your papers, and then just let me go do my thing. He never asked he, if he wanted something specific. Like, I want you to, like, when this happens, I want you to to say this. Yep. But he didn't say, I want you to say it like this. Yeah. Never. He would he always, always, always just like take your sheets, and he never, I think never bo bothered me. And when and when I would say like, hey, I've been thinking of you know changing my 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 routine up, whatever you want to do. He yeah. never, like never said. Yeah. And you see, I agree with that. Cause I did an alpha one show. Um, I didn't, and I, I've gone to a few, I, I paid money to watch them, but I caught, caught on a few of them, 
but I liked his shows, to be honest. And uh, I would go down to Hamilton to see them. And uh, he did the same thing as a ref. I, I never got comment. I mean, our, we had that tiff at another show and made it quite clear I would never work for Alpha again. Um, I was originally supposed to be the first Alpha ref. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> but I was supposed to be, and I couldn't make it. And they got somebody else, and that was the end of it. I can't remember what happened. I think it might have been, it might have been exam time, and I had to mark test, and I just got over my head, and you know, Sunday night. There's no way I could give up a Sunday, and I have to get it done by Monday. So, you know, it was one of those things. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree. I agree. I think what he did was his on his um, uh, perfectionism. He made sure he hired people he trusted. Yes. And I think once you were hired, he trusted you to do things. I love the the atmosphere in his change room when I actually got to do it. The, the dressing room was nice. The atmosphere was great. I remember sitting and chatting with Eddie Kingston and Abyss and uh, just, uh, you know, these amazing people. I got to work with guys that I still hear about just on the one show I did. So those are the kind of things I love doing. I mean, I've worked with all the best in the world. And just what a dream. What a, what a, what a dream job. So. I, I wanted to tell this little story like a little bit ago, and I still want to do it, so I'm going to do it. Um, I wish, I could, yeah, I wish I could remember. See, I I can't remember who the original people I was refereeing was. Was they were having a no holds barred match, and they were choking on the rope, and I sat there and I was kind of like, you know, hey, you know, come on, get off him, get off him, get yeah. off him. And I looked at the guy that's being choked, and I said, do you want to continue? And whoever was doing the choking, I wish I could fucking remember who it was. And they were just like, you know, count, count. And so I counted, because they told me to. But later on, they're just like, why the fuck didn't you count that choke? And I'm like, because you guys are having a no-holds-barred match. Like, that's my own fault. That was my own fault. That I took my belief system, I guess. Like, uh, what am I going to do? I can't break you. I, I'm going to count to five. I can't make you break. Yeah. So why would I do that? I so from that point you're... forward, I remember the next time I did it was Rip Impact and Mark House. Yep. And they were having a no-holds-barred match. And I'm, I'm, it clicked in my head. And I'm like, by the way, I'm going to give you an example, guys. If you're choking, I'm going to treat it like a submission hold. Like, if you have them over the ropes and you're choking them, I'm going to treat it like a submission hold. And just like, just so they knew how, because that they or that, um, that company was kind of a just referee what you see. So th- that was something I, I guess I made the mistake of <laughs> was refereeing under my own belief system. But it kind of goes back to you saying, like, you know, I'm going to referee what I see, I'm going to referee what I do. Anyway, I just wanted to tell that story. <laughs> but you should, because uh, honest answer, and I still go through this, that the fans know more than we do. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Uh, these multi-man matches didn't happen back in the 70s, 80s when I was a big fan. So, I mean, uh, I don't know the rules. I'm in the, I don't know how many times the rules. I know I tried to do Sammy Callahan I, at Death Proof, and I was wrong, and I, you know, he was right, and I screwed up and uh, messed it up because, you know, the rules were kind of unclear. Like, our, to me, there was no rules. To me, uh, the match you were describing, why would you count a choke? I, I think you were in the right. 
I don't understand. That makes no sense to me. But you see, sometimes in the middle of the match, and especially you're doing a promotion and all of a sudden they come up with a match you've never heard of or something, and you go in the ring. I mean, the, most of the wrestlers, you know, I mean, by now your fan, your, your, your crowd knows that um, we ask for the finish. You know, that's the big thing that referees ask. And I usually say, you know, what's your finish? And is there anything else you need me for? Which the minute you get in the ring, you know that they should have told you, but they didn't. But the names of the holes, I don't know what they are anymore because I don't watch as much as I should be. I don't watch WWE at all. I only watch AEW on occasion and I watch MLW on occasion. I look what and probably watch NWA the most, which is old fogey wrestling, but I still like it. Um, so I don't know the names. And a lot of these moves are the same moves with just different names. And you get, you know, six wrestlers on the card. And they get the same move. But it's all different names. So it, it is confusing. So as I say, I think you're really hard on yourself because, you know, you're probably right. I remember my, uh, Ron Hutchinson, who we've become friends over the years. Um, basically, I knew him because we used to stand outside Maple Leaf Garden. And I knew his name. He knew my name. And uh, that was it. But... Um, I had a point to this, but I've lost it now because I went on a sidetrack. <laughs> I do that constantly. Yeah, yeah, it'll come back to me. Something I do want to ask you about, and you know, you and I talked about our size and being yep. a referee, yep. and then you mentioned Tid. Yep. And it clicked in my head. There's a picture that I have. It's one of my favorite pictures. Uh, Tid is uh, is one of the people, obviously, that, that does actually tower over me. Yeah. And it's a picture of him and I'm I'm ring announcing and he has me backed up into the corner and I'm selling off like I'm you know begging off of him. Um but there there was uh the the Christ brothers uh, as Jake Christ and yep. and I was I was ring announcing for their match and they came in and they they like did like kind of a you know like they were trying to intimidate me. And I and I just no sold it because like they're both smaller than me. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to you saying like I don't I oh I don't want to be part of the show. Yeah. My part of the show is announcing you, announcing the winner, and that's it. If you want me to do something a little something, then tell me to do a little exactly something. exactly. So how do you how do you quantify I guess being intimidated? Like if somebody comes up like, okay, and then I'm, I'm going to intimidate you. I'm going to back you up. Like, are you, do you say like, okay, dude, like, look at this. Like, I know, like in your case, I know I'm in my sixties, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it okay. depends. Like usually it's an ad lib, right? I mean, most of this is off the cuff. So I'm not, I'm going to always try to make them look good. Um, by the way, the Chris brothers, I believe are on impact. So, you know, um, but yeah, the, it, they, it, it's tough to uh, it, it's it's every match is different every situation is different and, and sometimes you're wrong and sometimes you're right so you're right I do I know exactly what you're saying if they said before the match here's what we want to do we're going to push you and I'd be going you can't push me because I said I'm 185 pounds and you're 85 pounds I said you're not I'm not going to move and I think everybody in the crowd gets it unless you get me off balance now, it's a little different now that I'm older because now I play the old card a lot. And, oh, you know, my back, you got my back. And, and, and uh, so, you know, but 10 years ago when I was a, a young spry 55, um, it was ridiculous for some of these young guys to try to, you know, push you around and stuff. And, and it is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, so but it's the same thing as me trying to pull rage off somebody. You yeah. know, that's just silly. You know, I'm not going to be able to unless he lets me. 
So, you know, when I try to get in between them, you know, I'll try to use my shoulder or something. And, but, you know, it, legitimately, I can't really physically move him. So, I mean, there's, there's, you know, you have to drop that sense of, you know, that sense of disbelief comes into wrestling an awfully, an awful lot. So, yeah. and now you've got the women refs. So, I mean, you know, how intimidating are they and how intimidated are, you know, I don't, it's all, it's different. It's a different generation. Well, that kind of brings up, uh, Aubrey Edwards in AEW. Oh, <laughs> you have hit. My, I have not talked about her at all. I, I know one of the people who trained her, and I feel really bad. But yeah, I will have opinions. I I don't like. There's times that I think she's a fine referee, but then there's times that I think she just she's over over the top with it. Um. I don't like like I okay this this thing that she just got into like she was just in a six person tag or something. I understand that was part of a story, but long before that, she just made herself too much of the match. So I I just like wrestlers and she's like you know sticking her fingers in the face and going I said two and it's just kind of like I get it. But it's, it's... <laughs> from my opinion, her and um, and I wish I could think of his name. He was the referee for Shakara. Bryce. He's also on AEW. Yeah. Bryce Renner. They're a little over the top for me, Bryce. Um, yeah. They, they, they're a little dramatic for me. I don't think I'm like that. I mean, we all say that Tommy Young is our inspiration, but none of us referee like Tommy Young. Um, he had his own thing. But um, I try to take the refing part seriously for the most part. Um, I know my stories always go back to Josh because Josh is my favorite wrestler in Ontario has been forever. No matter what happens, if anything happens between us, I'm never going to stop respecting him as a worker. And one day I asked him, you've never really told me, what do you think me as a ref? He says, Jim, I never noticed you're there. Now for a referee, that's the biggest compliment in the world. So I've done my job. I'm not in the way. Of course, that very match was at Courage. And I couldn't stop laughing because during that match, he bumped into me and I fell over. Of course, he never notices me. This time he did. I rolled. I'm laughing. He doesn't get the joke, but I'm just going, oh, my God, I can't believe this. But whatever. You know, yeah, to be not noticed is great. Now, it's nice that they use me, but a lot of times they use me because of my age. And, you know, if I'm in a wrestling match, I'm not old school. I'm Zumba King. I'm a different person. Um, but she tends to, for me, she's a dancer. And her movements are long and very, like, she uses her body very differently than any other referee. Before I get letters and before I get canceled, because that seems to be the thing that happens in Ontario indie wrestling, um, I love the lady referees in WWE. They're amazing. I wish I knew their names. Uh, the one, but that, I, but that's to your point. You don't know their names. Like no, they might and, mention them, like oh, no, referee so and so. They have. There's one who's a, a former wrestler, and I want to say her name Sarah, but I probably got it wrong. Plus, I've because Jody now, my, you know. B is my favorite friend. She's a great friend. I, you know, I can honestly say I love her. She's like my little daughter, wrestling daughter. I call her. 
I've always told her that Jody's the best wrestler in the area. I said, I can't do this to be Jody's the best. So now that yeah. Jody's on Impact, I do watch it once in a while. They have a wonderful referee there. I don't know her name either. She's very good, very efficient. Um, and I don't blame, um, you know, Aubrey because she's a dancer. That's her movement. We, I did Zumba today and it was a dancer girl. It wasn't very regular yeah. and it was different. I like the ones who are more phys and, and, you know, tough and let's go. This was more long movements and things that wasn't as enjoyable to me but for her is she's making herself stand out bryce is the same and in chikara it's different because it's very cartoony yeah and fun i worked with a lot of chikara guys very fun i loved bryce when he was with uwa it's not a knock on him but now you're on a national level on a serious promotion relatively serious um and you know poor paul paul turner unfortunately he was, you know, the scapegoat of everything at the beginning. And I'm going, he was the ROH referee. I love that guy. He was oh, yeah. A ref. I love him. He's so good. So finally now he's getting his, you know, there were people going, well, over a period of time, he's actually pretty good. And you're going, yeah, he is. He's the best one they've got. And oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I can't remember his name. He's good, too. You know, like, and, I, and I felt so guilty. Um, like, I was lucky enough to do some work with Ring of Honor. Well. And I I was helping set up, and I felt so bad. It wasn't until he put his shirt on that I'm like, "Oh fuck, that's Paul Turner." Like, oh, absolutely. He took not my that ticket. I said what, you know, what are those shows? He took my ticket. I'm going. Oh, and now I know where you. I've seen you before. You're the ref. You know? yeah. I I, even... I felt so bad. Like I didn't say anything disrespectful to him or anything no. at a line, no. but I just felt bad. I think it was that I didn't introduce myself to him. Like I saw him and like, I kind of looks familiar, but I didn't think too much of it. I have a story. I I think it was just someone that I felt I should have introduced myself to. Well, it was like the, the wrestling expo in Oshawa that drew about nine people, um, which was an amazing idea, different promotions in one arena. And, you know, they all brought in people. I got to lucky enough to referee Kamala and some of the other things, but I got to do, but, uh, and Jim Neidhart, which was really a big thrill. Um, but I remember I didn't know where the dressing room was. And I asked this guy with a baseball hat and, uh, um, had no idea who he was. I thought, you know, he was maintenance or something and it was Coco beware. Had no idea. He had a maintenance jacket on. I had no idea. Like he just had a jacket and a baseball hat on. So talk about embarrassing. And you're right. Like, I mean, I'm the guy who gives respect to anybody who's ever been in the business. Especially, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter if you were a big winner. The, do you know how what a big thrill it was to meet Big Mac? I mean, holy cow, that was so exciting. Um, and now that I go down to Cauliflower Alley most years and uh, see these, you know, the guys who were enhancement workers and stuff, and they have the stories they have are just amazing. So yeah, I, I uh, it was not out of disrespect or that I just couldn't put my head together that that Coco Beware. So I, uh, I, I actually have an excuse for mine. <laughs> the first thing I did with Ring of Honor, um, I, I went there and they had I think five ring announcers there, and I can't remember the program that they were thinking of starting, but they were you know talking to different ring announcers, and that's how. You know, they sent me an email and said, no promises, but come to Toronto. I have been bugging them for years. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they said, you know, come to Toronto, no promises, we'll talk. And throughout the day that we're setting up, um, it was that someone was going to uh, ring announce the dark matches. 
So they weren't really talking to us, but someone was going to, you know, ring announce these dark matches. Well, then they came out and they said, we don't have time. We're not doing dark matches. Okay, that's fine. And they came to me and they said, uh, do you want to be security? Now they meant security. Yeah. Like, that there was going to be a pull apart and that, uh, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, like I'll be on pay-per-view. Like hell, that's, that's, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm game. And I do have some training under me, so I'm like, I'll, I'll do, I'll do what I can. And then someone came out and said, uh, "Terry, do you have your suit?" I said, "Well, yeah." And they said, "Okay, go get dressed. You're doing the um, the meet and greet." They had a whole bunch of the New Japan guys, oh, and wow. they were having this big meet and greet, and they wanted someone to host it. And Bobby Cruz, they said, "Okay, Bobby, you're going to have to do this." And he says, "Well, you know." And Bobby wasn't, you know, panning it off or anything or passing it off. But he said, like, you got these guys that you want to, you know, try out. Why don't you get one of them? Now, I don't think I've ever, I, maybe I have told this story, but I'll say it again because both of them deserve appreciation. Um, well, then, okay, well, we haven't really talked to these guys. Who do we want? Who do we want to do this? And Rip Impact was close by and he said, you want Matthew Terry. And Rip, you know, Rip is Rip, one of the nicest guys in wrestling. You know, but as far as Ring of Honor went, he he didn't like have like let's say pull. Like even though they knew Rip, they trusted Rip. Oh, yeah. it was, you know, it's just he didn't have pull. No. And they're just like, oh okay, and they kind of hummed and hawed, hummed and hawed, and then Michael Elgin walked over. Oh wow! Who, who Mary, who very well could have been the champion at the time, I think. Yep. And he said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, we're, we're trying to figure out which ring announcer is going to host the, the meet and greet. And he goes, yeah, you want Matthew Terry. So then they came out and they're like, oh, okay, well, now that Michael said, now I will say at that point, Michael and I had maybe no exaggeration exchanged 20 words and all of them were, hey, Mike, hey, and that was it. 20 words in our entire lives. And the fact that he said, yes, you want Matthew Terry was big and the extension to that story I'll, I'll kind of veer off here was um mike had posted on social media that he was collecting figures of a certain type for his kid and i messaged him and i said do you have these ones and i said no how much do you want and i said i owe you a favor so i saw him in an alpha one show and i said here's the figures and he's like are you sure you don't want me to pay you for these i said no i owe you a favor and he just stared at me I'm like you have no idea what the favor is and he says, no, man, I don't. So I told him. And he says, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't ever remember saying that. And I was <laughs> so crushed. But then he followed it up with, with, uh, but I, I know I would have. Yeah. He's like, I probably did. I just don't remember doing it. Yeah, Ontario guys help Ontario guys, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Most of the part, yeah. Michael's a good guy. I mean, so, my, my best friends are all the canceled ones, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to say. But the uh, the not I, I went back and I was like over the moon like oh my god I'm going to do this meet I, I was expected if I was going to do anything I was going to do ring announcing yeah and I went there and like I'm doing a meet and greet what, what the heck do I do for a meet and greet how am I going to do this meet and greet like what what do I do what do I do because like, I want to show off to Ring of Honor and I'm yeah. this that and this and that and now the first thing was I they I they said just choose a locker room so I go into locker room and the locker room I was in was the one that uh, Kevin Steen had. Uh, had dictated or had decided was his because he had a son with him. And I just kind of walked in, started dressing, which I found out later, Kevin didn't care. Yeah. But when I'm doing that, this guy comes in and he says, and he says something to Kevin 
Then he looks at me and he goes, so you're the guy doing the uh, the meet and greet. And I said, yeah. And I, I kind of, I didn't blow him off, but I didn't really look at him. And he's like, so you're, you're good with that? And I said, yeah. And because I, the, the guy who I kind of answered to, I knew it wasn't him. And he was just like, you're okay with that? And I said, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, good luck. I'm like, yeah, thanks. And I didn't look at him. It wasn't until they had the pre-show meeting that I realized it was Delirious. Oh, really? Delirious was the booker. Right. But obviously, I know him as Delirious. Yep. I had never seen him without his mask. Yep. And I, I'm sitting there like, I just brushed off the booker of this fucking company. I'm yeah. trying to impress these people, and I just brushed off the booker of this company. Yeah, that's not the guy to brush off. <laughs> and... Now, I did four more shows with Ring of Honor and oh, wow. did, little, did little things here and there, here and there. But I kept going to Delirious or trying to, to say like, hey, I I genuinely apologize to you that yeah. I brushed you off. I said, I didn't recognize you, which in hindsight was no excuse. Like anyone, I should pay attention to anyone yeah, yeah. talking to me in the locker room. But I wanted to apologize to him. But every time I would search him out, again, with the position he had, he's surrounded by people. Yeah. Always surrounded by people. And I never got the chance. And then I, I sent him an email. I don't know if he ever got it. But somehow I procured his, his email address. And I sent him an email. He never got back to me. But my conscience is clean. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's it's funny like that. I remember when my son and I were, when my son was younger, we were in lineup for something or other. And we got autographs. and. Um, I want to get Gail Kim's because I actually worked Gail Kim's first matches under a mask with, she was La Felina and uh, she remembered me, which was really nice. And uh, we were getting autographs and there was a guy standing beside her and we were saying, oh, he looks a little, oh my God, I can't believe, I mean, if he canceled for this, he looks a little slow. I don't know. This guy, he's kind of goofy looking, he, you know, got a, uh, you know, crew cut and just looked a little simple. And we're going, I don't know why he is there. And as we left and we watched the matches, we went, oh, my God, that's Brian Danielson. We could have got his autograph instead. We thought he was the slow guy. Remember when he had the crew cut and the thing? And my son is killing himself because he is the greatest wrestling fan in the world, still is. Yeah. Loves, we both love Brian Danielson, but it was just in a different context. If you see them something else, wearing something else, and uh, just didn't realize he was standing there and really nobody knew who he was except us. We were really, really the only two people who really knew who he was, but we didn't that moment. So we've kicked ourselves ever since. Since, but, since uh, I got into wrestling, that's one of the things I'm amazed of, like seeing the people like now I kind of expect it, but the people that you see on, on TV and then when you see them as a person, it's just like, wow, I didn't expect you to be like that. Exactly. They're like real people. I remember the first time I met Hacks, uh, Jim Duggan. I've worked with him a million times. But he was reading the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> quiet as could be with glasses on and a quiet guy. And, you know, just it, I wasn't expecting that. So it was like he was just such a nice guy. And uh, and actually, Jim Duggan kind of, I, I don't want to say he saved my gimmick. But, you know, I, I wear the vest all the time. Absolutely. And everybody, like, they they wouldn't like oh what do you do that for 
But people would be just like, you know, you know, you kind of overdo this or something. Like they would just make comments like that. And it's just, and it was just, it was always, that's what I grew up with. Like Mean Gene wore a suit. Yep. And like all the ring announcers wore suits. And that's, I, I used to wear a suit, but I sweat a lot. So I, I took it down to a vest. Yeah. And it makes it a little bit unique, but it's still very classy. So, and someone said to me, you know, you should think about kind of, kind of loosening up a little bit. And I was like, yeah, maybe I will. Cause, and I, this was at the time where I, I had kind of peaked and I didn't think I was going to go anywhere else. And it's like, who the heck am I trying to impress? But I was still kind of under like, you know what, you're doing it for yourself type thing. Yeah. And I was wearing the vest and it was in Oshawa and Hacksaw was on the show. And I walked up and I said something to someone. And then I, I turned because I had never met him before. And I turned to say, you know, Mr. Duggan, it's very nice to meet you. And uh, I turned and I, I said, like, oh, Mr. Duggan. And, he, and he, right away, he's just like, Jim. And I'm just like, oh, I'm, my, my apologies. And I said, uh, you know, Jim, it's, it's very nice to meet you. And I said, I, I, uh, I'm a huge fan. And he said, oh, thanks. And he goes, are you the ring announcer? And I said, yeah. And I thought he was going to say, could you say Hall of Famer? Could you say, you know, whatever? And he goes, he's like, good. He's like, ring announcers don't look like you anymore. And he's like, that's professional. And he's like, I yep. like that. Yep. And I was just, and, and I remember thinking in my head, like, well, I'm not getting rid of the best now. <laughs> yep. I know. Well, actually, one of my best friends that developed was, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of his gimmick name. Gentleman Jeff, I'm sure you've seen him announce before. Yes, I have. He always wears the heavy-duty jacket and tie and everything, and he's very old school. And that's why we get along really well. And uh, you know, basically, ring announcers and refs make about the same money. We do the so it's not a whole thing. So yeah. we would we would arrive at the arena at the same time. But yeah, it was it, it it makes a difference. I mean, now I'm seeing I'm going to shows where they're wearing a polo shirt and saying, and it just it's the same. I don't get that. And that's not a knock on anybody because I know that's the new thing. Um, it's more or less, I'm an old dog and it's hard to teach me new tricks. So wrestling is, you really, Jerry Hift, who very few people would know, was the original ring announcer at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens before Norm Kimber. And he always wore a lilac colored tuxedo. Always. Norm Kimber wore a suit. He was the next ring announcer for Maple Leaf Garden for a long, long time. But it was a classy thing. And you look at any old clip from the 70s or 60s, and it's always a suit and tie or a tuxedo. Mm -hmm. So that to go 30 years later, I know that seems like forever for you guys, but it really will go fast. And next thing you know, these guys are, you know, referees are involved in the action and ring announcers are wearing T-shirts and the referees are 18 years old. Because you command a lot of respect when you're 18 and you're, you know, telling an, a 250 pound guy what to do. And I'm just so tired of seeing shows like that. I'm sorry, yeah. but uh, that's where I have a problem. Women referees doesn't bother me at all. 18, 16, 17 year old should be doing hockey, not refereeing uh, wrestling. Sorry, all you 18 year old guys out there. Maybe I'm too old, but I don't know. That's my pet peeve. You seem to have a few pet peeves. I have quite a few. Actually. <laughs> so when you say like that's my pet peeve, like really, that's that's the one we're we're throwing up the flagpole. Yeah, well, right now it's, that's the topic we're on right now. No, I don't have a lot of pet peeves. I mean, yeah. actually, gentleman Jeff and Chris 
Chet Monkey, Chris, and I were, we call ourselves the bitter club. I don't know why, but just because we're bitter about everything. And, yeah. uh, but I mean, really and truly, it's been a dream. And uh, you know, I love what I'm doing. You know, if I can do get a few more matches in, that's fine. I have, the, the fans have been great to me. I talked to a lot of them on a regular basis. But I haven't refed really a lot. So, yeah. Like, my Maple Leaf Garden story is actually not a Maple Leaf Garden story, but it it is. Um, I don't know what Maple. I can't remember what Maple Leaf Gardens is called now. I don't know either. Um, but like they've turned the bottom into like a shopping center. Yeah. And then there's an arena on top. And one of the times that I worked for Ring of Honor was in that building. And again, I did the uh, uh, the the meet and greet before the show. And I've I've never announced inside of an I've never actually I've never been inside of an ROH ring. And that was now I'm kind of veering off again. I'm a huge baseball fan, and I don't know if you are, but there's a baseball player, and his name was J.P. Santangelo, lifetime minor leaguer. So he was in his like late twenties, early thirties, and he was with the Montreal Expos organization. And the Montreal Expos would um, bring the Ottawa Lynx, which was their AAA team, bring them to Montreal. And like the weekend was like dedicated to them. And they would be there and they'd watch the game and they'd, you know, just see the system as it is up on the big leagues. And JP Santangelo said he didn't want to go. And they're like, well, why? And he's like, you know, just if, if it's okay, I don't want to go. And he goes, because the first time I go to Olympic Stadium, I want to have earned my spot there. I don't want to walk in there for any other reason, unless I'm a fan. So I don't want to walk the concourse. I don't want to be in the locker room I, unless I get there. So that's, and that was like my mid-teens that I, I read that story. And that stuck with me. So I never want to step into an ROH ring unless I'm ring announcing. Now, to get back to the Maple Leaf Gardens, when I was young, I was that I was the wrestling nerd and everybody else that I grew up with was an NHL fan and everybody else played hockey and everybody else said I'm going to play in the NHL I'm going to play in the NHL I'm going to play for the Maple Leafs I'm going to play in Maple Leaf Gardens and they would look at me and they'd be like Matt like you like this wrestling like that's so stupid. You know it's fake and da 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 da. And like, oh yeah, wrestling is this, wrestling's that. It's guys in their underwear and blah blah blah. And I got teased and teased and teased. And they, would, oh, you know, when I get older, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get drafted to the Maple Leafs and I'm gonna play in Maple Leaf Gardens and I'm gonna this and that. And I remember standing in whatever Maple Leaf Gardens is called now, and I know it's not actually the gardens. But I still I stood there and like they still have the remnants of the garden. It's just like the upper upper part of it, the upper bowl. And I, I stood there and I don't know why it popped into my head, probably because Maple Leaf Gardens. And I remember standing there and thinking, all these people that teased me about liking wrestling, none of them played in the NHL. None of them played in Maple Leaf Gardens. But here I am with my stupid wrestling dream. In Maple Leaf Gardens, I'm where you wanted to be with my stupid dream. <laughs> yep. And you, you know, you you endured all the teasing and everything. And uh, certainly back in the 70s, wrestling wasn't cool. 
Like it wasn't until the 80s with Hogan before it became cool and mainstream. So talk about being a wrestling nerd in the 70s and stuff. People just thought you were insane. I mean, and the fans there, you know, these were not the, you know, it, it was a different crowd. Like it was, you know, and, you know, no wrestling music. No, you, you, but the noise level, the intensity and the heat was amazing because people believed it. So it was just totally different. But yeah, I mean, I could totally relate to that story, like, you know, being teased and, and, and you know, I was the nerd too. And I played a few sports, but I, I played football and things like that. But uh, I saw, I think that every so often when I'm in the gym, I see all these jacked guys and I go, and I'm the guy who vaguely is in professional sports. <laughs> yeah. So, did, did you ever referee Maple Leaf Gardens? No, gosh, no. I never yeah. did anything really famous. I, I you know, I, I started way too late. No, the yeah. old, uh, well, even like tried, the, the old gardens or, yeah, or, no, or, or the new it, gardens, I should say. No, no, I've never, the Matt May Center or something it's called. Like, I can't remember yeah. like that, but um, I'm saying it wrong, but probably spelling it right. Um, no, I never got any big shows because um, I was too old, but I always try to tell the young wrestlers and stuff. I said, you realize the referees just stayed here. Like if WCW came to town, they would use the local refs. They mm -hmm. didn't carry their refs. The WWWF didn't bring their refs. So you had the guys, like I said, Pat Flanagan, George Canales, Terry Yorkson, John Bonello. These guys were all local guys who refereed any show that came to town. I never was part of that because I was old enough to watch it, but I didn't start till the year 2000. So by that time, you know, WCW was bringing in their own refs. And uh, so I never did. The biggest show I ever did... Um, was probably House of Hardcore with Tommy Dreamer, but I only did one, you know. And I, you know, who knows? I probably said something dumb, and you know, never got booked again, and uh, you know, things like that. I, I haven't really been on any big, big shows. I mean, when I started out, Dave Linton was here, so he got all the big shows, and he's the best indie ref I've ever seen, uh, bar none. Um, and uh, you know, so I didn't. There was no disappointment because I didn't think I earned it. There was a point a few years ago I thought, you know, I've done everything I possibly can around here. I'm, you know, and, I, and I'm doing the biggest shows. I'm doing Demand Lucha and Greek Temp to me is as good as anybody. I've refed MJF. I've refed the Young Bucks. I've refed, you know, you know, you name them. I've probably refed them. Chris Statlander, who's just my very favorite jazz. Um, so I've refed a lot of really cool people. Um, but I've never really done a big show. Um, I, my friends, the Heartbreakers, Mike Hart. Joey Valentine last week were in Gatineau and wrestled in front of 3,000 people. I was so jealous. Yeah. Because I've never done a show like that. So, like, when we first did, when I first started, we, um, Ron invited me down because I was a teacher and had the summers off. He couldn't find a referee because he was doing the CNE. And there were shows like noon, three o'clock, eight o'clock on a weekday. Yeah. I had nothing to do. So that's, that is exactly why I'm a referee. There's no other reason. I didn't ask him to be a referee, I, I was supposed to be commissioner. I was supposed to come in to replace Trish Stratus as commissioner of his promotion. Yeah. And, uh, but I, he says, well, you got some running shoes in the car. I said, yeah. Okay. Next match you're roughing. And it was, that was honestly the story of how I started roughing. Um, and I was in there. And he, he just went in the dressing room and said, this guy here knows more about wrestling than any of you. So if there's a problem, I know it's yours. Well, that, haunted me for three years because the wrestlers were not thrilled with that comment and I that was not I know Ron meant it and I've told him this since I'm not shocking him here but I said that was not the best thing to say because you know 
you know, Fuego was one of the wrestlers, and they, you know, he's never forgotten that. And I think he thought I was the promoter stooge and all that other stuff, but it wasn't like that at all. He Ron was just trying to help me out, but it sort of backfired a little bit. But uh, yeah, I have no training, like zero, basically. Yeah. I, I learned along the way, and then ten years in, Cordaris retired. So obviously, he's going to get all the big shows now when he retired and came here. But he also started putting on seminars, so I learned my first stuff. Now, I'm an old dog, so a lot of the things he said, I smiled and went, yep, that's WWE stuff. It's not going to apply to me. And yeah. it really, a lot of it didn't. You know, when, when you count to 10, you do this, you have to do it. And I'm going, no, it's empty. The wrestlers will get pissed off. You know, if I'm counting 10 and I notice they're not even close to the ring, I just jump out and go, come on, guys, they want to see the finish in the ring. You know, Cody used to tell me, uh, yeah, you can count them out. Just don't ever count me out. Yeah. <laughs> and you're sort of going, oh, shit. You know, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of training. So, well, um, one name, uh, oh, my God, I just blanked on it. Hornet. Yeah. And uh, great referee. Yep. Did you like? Did you know him before he went up there? Like, was that an aspiration of his, or uh, did it? Just... I have, yeah, I knew him very early on. He was in the shows. There's a group of them, and it was like 2003 when I first left the AWF. I went to work for Chris Drury, who did a lot of shows up, you know, in in our my area, Barry area, um, and uh, so it was guys like Jake O'Reilly and uh, Eddie Osborne was another young kid, 175 pound Eddie Osborne throwing drop kicks if you can picture that and uh, hornet was one of them he was the brown hornet yeah. and he, he had juice by the side and he would drink his super juice and turn into this whatever but uh it was kind of nice because sometimes i don't think i'm that good I, I don't have a lot of confidence myself but i was at carrot fest which is one of my favorite shows to do and he came up to me and it was the first time i'd ever seen him ref because he was always a wrestler really really good friends with asylum those guys hung out all the time yeah and um he said, can you watch me ref and, and comment on my match? And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. He says, don't tell anybody, but I've got an appointment on Monday in Connecticut. Yeah. So I knew what that meant. And I was like, where did that come from? Because I'd never seen him ref in my life before. Well, yeah, it took me by surprise. Like I was yeah. watching NXT and I'm just like, wait, that's Hornet. Yeah, and I just told him, I said, there isn't one thing I can, I can comment on because basically I look at them um, Matt Grant, who I think was one of the best referees in Ontario, I told him to wear a belt. Yeah. You know, I said, you're pulling up your pants. I'm watching that. I said, and I'm being distracted because you're such a good ref. But I don't, I'm not very critical because I always say, I mean, there's not much to refing really get in position, make sure you see the shoulders, predict where they're going to go, make the wrestler look bigger. Those are the kind of things I do. But that just came naturally. But I was so impressed that he said that. And then when he became a referee, he's really, really, really good. And uh, he was another seminar I went to, but I said the same thing. I said, this is going to be, you know, I don't want to pay for it because it's going to be too WWE oriented. Oh, no, it's not. you got to come. So I came and it was totally WWE, you know, all these rules. I'm going, no, not Nancy. You can't, you know, it's not like that. And you, you do what the wrestlers do. Oh, come on now. You know, Vince outlawed, you know, fists are legal in the WWE and have been since 2000 because of uh, UFC. Yeah. I'm going... I talked to each promoter before I start the show and said, what do you want me to do with fifth? And yeah. 99 of them said, tell them no. Tell them no. Don't disqualify them. Eddie Osborne said that to me. Never disqualify them for punching, but never say it's okay. Yeah. Open it up. Open it up. So, 
Different well, rules, different companies. Hornet being like a smaller guy, like I, yep. there's a lot of refer or yeah, there's a lot of referees who I know were wrestlers. Yeah, and I think they make such great referees, especially Absolutely. if they are smaller. Absolutely, one of the best, absolute best referees I ever saw on WWE television was Nunzio. Oh, really? Yeah, and like they weren't acknowledging him as Nunzio. I probably didn't recognize him, and. I was just watching the match. I've wrestled with him, so there you go. That's another story. And I'm I'm like watching the match, and like they did a close up, and he's sitting there, and he's like, you know, he's in their face, and he's just like, you know, you want to keep going, whatever it was. And I like looked, and like, is that Nunzio? And I had a DVR, and I went backwards. I'm like, that is Nunzio. Wow. And I started thinking, like, like, am I supposed to know that's Nunzio? Like, because I did, I wasn't heavy into the mainstream product. Yeah. And I'm like, is there something I'm missing? Like, is he, is he? Well, WWE, but... only recently that they're allowed, that they're allowed to use the referees' names. Yeah. We're not allowed. The announcers were told, never mention the referees. No. Yeah. Charles Robinson came with a character from WCW already. So he was kind of mentioned. Rudy Engels is never, his name's never on there. He was the main ref for, uh, you know, TNA for years. Mm-hmm. He's still on there. Now he's Rudy Charles or something. Um, but you know, those, those names were never mentioned, but yeah, I agree with you. Former wrestlers can make ref, great referees, guys who've never wrestled make ref, great referees, you know, some rep, some, you know, it's like Wayne Gretzky being a coach. I mean, how does he become a coach when it's all easy to him? Yeah. And, you know, so I mean, I've seen great professional wrestling referees who are wrestlers and great ones that weren't, and I've seen some bad ones that were also wrestlers. And well, I got the chance to talk to Nunzio. Uh, Alpha One brought him in, and I happened to be the one that went to get him from the airport. And so I told him, I said, uh, you know, I was surprised when I saw you refereeing, and he said, yeah, it was just they were in town. And uh, they they were just they needed referees, and like he just, he said like he did it for like a few months. Wow! And it just they just stopped using him. They said like he did great and everything, but they just kind of whittled it down. But yeah, he said like it was it was great, and you know it it he made some money and. Well, it's hard sometimes, especially you know because. Let's face it. I mean, I, I know you've never seen this before, but sometimes wrestlers have egos, and oh. it's, hard bear, it's hard to bury the ego and become in the background. Yeah, they want to be part of the business, but they don't really want to be in the background. They still think they all. I mean, I met Dewey Robertson at a Titans for dinner. For you might know him as Missing Link. Um, I don't know, but um, he ended up needing a shower. I had a hotel room. Once you do it in my room, and he's like my legendary. I have pulled out an eight by ten that I had of him to sign and that kind of thing. But he was probably fifty at these Titans for uh, dinner thing that Greg Oliver used to run, and uh, he was telling me, "Well, you see, I've got this new idea for Vince, and it's gonna." And he was totally delusional that he was still gonna wrestle for Vince and uh, telling me all these ideas. And if you meet any of the old veterans. Um, a lot of them still think they've still got it. They're going to do it. And you never lose it. So, you know, it, it's that ego, that feeding thing. And it's the same thing with me. I'm retired. I'm out of retirement. I'm retired. I know everybody's sick of it. But, you know, you're still going to see me every so often. And, you know, it's an ego thing. It is. So. You uh, you talked about the cauliflower 
uh, alley club and it's something that i have like i have thought of getting involved with those of those people who might not know what that is because it is kind of a well actually i shouldn't say it's an unknown thing because it I, I think it did have a bit of a resurgence as far as far as popularity not too long ago but what exactly is the cauliflower alley club well we what it's a club that helps the original thing was just you know 30 wrestlers in the 50s having dinner together but it ended up that they found there was such a bond and it's uh, you know it, it that it's really hard to explain it it's not a convention they won't let us call it it's a reunion and we meet every year and it's basically a bunch of old wrestling people However, fans can go too, and it's not it's not exclusive. And uh, you pay X number of dollars, but then Rip Rogers is an old veteran and now is famous as a trainer. Um, I you know when he needed some new teeth, you know we're the guys who provided the money because our dues goes into a fund that helped wrestlers when they you know Dennis Stamp was another guy that we helped out, and I'm, I'm naming names that I could be wrong. <laughs> the Killer Bees were a big WWE tag team champion um b brian blair one of the members is the president of cauliflower alley um so the big thing is our reunion which is in september this year and we go there for three days i go for a week but we stay down in vegas it's, it's a nice place to go and you're going there listening to stories for me my favorite thing is i found a couple of old referees that refereed wwf or wwf Kevin Jeffries out in Vancouver there, and we've become friends. He gets mad every time he sees a picture of me with sweatbands or a watch. He gets so mad. Get that off. Let your timekeeper. It's Ontario. We don't have timekeepers. Um, but so, but that's fun. And you meet people that you just never thought you'd meet. I've had beers with, you know, Pat Patterson sat down because we were the East Coast, the old all-star wrestling group, the West Coast, all those guys, David Boyce and the gang. Um, and us in Ontario, we all get together and drink. And uh, so Pat Patterson's sitting beside me, and he decided to bring Gene Okerlund over. So I'm having a beer with Gene Okerlund and Pat Patterson. I'm, you know, the one that made me cry, the picture that actually made me sob, is three guys you've never seen or heard of. But it was, um, and I got to think, there's one I want. One was Colonel De Beers, Moondog Moretti, and, oh, I was going to say Dan Crawford, but it wasn't Dan Crawford, but it's somebody like that. Um, and they were all the guys I used to watch in all-star wrestling in Vancouver. Yeah. And I, I mean, I tears were going down my face. I'm going, this is what I fell in love with. You're the guys that I fell in love with. Yeah. I'm sitting around the table having beers and listening to stories. Talk about shut your mouth and open your ears. Mm -hmm. I just sit there for hours listening to stories. The first time I went down, the very first time was, um, a guy named, and he had a, a Mad Dog Bash on gimmick, and he was okay. a dog, Pelican. Never won a match, but he was a jobber for the AWA. So I said, do you have any stories you could tell me? Because I didn't know what to do. I was new. I'd never been there before. He just looked at the waitress and went, two pitchers over here. And till four in the morning, did you ever wrestle Hulk Hogan? That stiff? I... Uh, <laughs> a handicap match and he was just telling me he said he didn't know his arm along from a wrist you know the whole story yeah they talk and his stories were so he was such a nice man and uh um i used to love going down to see him and uh 
But I mean, it's just, it's, it, they also throw on a lot of seminars for wrestlers and uh, people like that. So um, I've gone to a couple of the seminars and they're very interesting, put on by wrestlers. Ron Hutchinson in Toronto actually coordinates them now. That's his job. So, um, and they're just interesting things, things you never thought of. It might be, you know, what what do you do after wrestling? Yeah. A lot of wrestlers who don't know what to do. How do you manage your money? That kind of stuff. But also, you know, I think next year there's one on West Coast wrestling, West Coast Canadian wrestling. I'm excited about that because that's, you know, the all-star wrestling. You know, we used to watch seven or eight hours of wrestling on the weekend. Yes, here's my other pet peeve because I only have one. Um, Wrestling shows should be an hour. That's it. There's no more to it. Wrestling shows are an hour. That's it. And uh, I watched seven hours of wrestling, and each one of them was a different show. Yeah. So that's the difference between, you know, why I can't, I will not watch three hours of wrestling and why I don't watch the product anymore. You have hour shows, I'll watch them. NWA is the only ones who do it, so I watch yeah. them. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's just a fun place to go. You, you know, the, we, we joke around, you know, and it's a great way to network. I've seen young people network there. Um to get their get their name out there, and uh, I've seen a lot of you know La Rosa Negra's there every year. You hear her name in the news. You're going, oh, I know her. She's fun. I've danced with her before. You know, it's just fun. And and, and uh, you know how you were just saying you were the wrestling nerd. I was the wrestling nerd. We we're all wrestling nerds for a week. You're cool. Yeah. Sit there and talk about tag teams till four in the morning. And, you know, where else can you do that? You know, you know, it, it's just so much fun. And, and as I say, it's not to meet the famous guys. I just like hearing the stories. And, and it was a different thing. It was a full-time job back then. And going from town to town. And then you do have the famous guys. They have awards. So, I mean, uh, you know, I've met, you know, Booker T. And, you know, those kind of WWE sometimes will buy a table. And they'll have Sergeant Slaughter there and all those guys. And, yeah. Uh, you know, Michael P.S. Hayes once in a while as the host. Terry Funk was there quite a bit. J.J. Dillon is a big member there. Um, Greg Valentine was there at one point. He used to come a lot. He was very quiet and shy. And, um, they're just, they're open. To, they're, it's just a fun time for them, too. So, um, I, I remember like, you're talking, like, seeing people in that. Um, like, when I discovered wrestling, I guess, there was a, a company over in Gatineau and I think it was International Wrestling. I think that's what it was called. And it was an AWA affiliate. And like Rick Martell and oh. Tom Zink and Steve Strong and Abdullah the Butcher. And the uh, Gino Brito Jr., Gino Brito Sr. And so I, I, I grow up and I start working for a company in Ottawa. And they had this rivalry, like a legit rivalry with a company over in Gatineau. And the company over in Gatineau, CWF or CWA or whatever it was, and every once in a while, like even though the, the two weren't supposed to, to mix in any way, uh, me and a couple of the other people in the, in the, in the promotion, we'd go over because we're wrestling fans. There's a wrestling show across the river. Just go watch the show. And, you know, you get to know the people over there and, you know, it's like, hey, you're wrestlers, we're wrestlers, we're in wrestling, you're in wrestling. It's just, you know, as as long as we weren't making a big deal out of it, no one said anything. But I'm at one of these shows and I had no idea that Gino Brito Sr. was, he wasn't really involved with the company, but 
I don't know if he was bankrolling it or if he was just helping out or whatever. We're at this show and I looked over and by this point it's I don't know how old he would have been. But I looked over and I'm like, oh my god, like I looked at one of the the one of the wrestlers that's with me and I said, That's Gino Brito Sr. And the I remember the wrestler going, Who? I oh. said, Gino Brito Sr. And I'm like, I, I don't know who that is. And I remember looking at him like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> yeah, so, I know, yeah. And I walked over and he was talking to someone. And he kind of looked at me and I said, sir, I, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you. I said, but I I grew up with you. And I said, it's such a, a pleasure to meet you. And and I just sat there like bending his ear. And no one that I came with knew who the hell he was. Yep. Yep. But I just sat there bending his ear. And yep. like I, I just talked and I would ask, I asked his son and I asked about this and I asked about that. And I was just in awe but in awe of someone that everybody else was like you know who is this these are the guys who paved the way like you've got to show them re your respect i mean they paved oh, the yeah. way and uh yeah the young people i mean i have nothing i i love young people i like some of the wrestling they do a little too much acrobatics for me but you know as i always say i always say to the you know a lot of the young wrestlers they'll have a match or they're really hard on themselves and i'll just go it's supposed to be a fight. So you were awkward. Hmm. You ever seen a real fight? No, you know, after high school and then, you know, the, in the parking lot, it's awkward. You're supposed to fall down. You're supposed to be, they don't get the idea that it's a fight. It's, 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 it's a business. It's a, uh, you know, it, it's a contest. It's not an acrobatics gymnastics um, display, which some people don't get. One of the things I want to ask you about, and you're, and you're like, you're talking about years ago, um, I've been doing some things, um, associated with, uh, dangerous Danny Davis. Okay. And I was, I was looking up his, his history. I like, once I figured out that he was Mr. X and he actually wrestled before and everything, I went back to look at his, his, uh, his, like his wrestling history and like his matches and stuff. And he spent a lot of time in the Toronto area, at least according to his record. Do you know anything about that? I don't, I can't say I do. No, that could be before my time too. Because like there's matches where I'm pretty sure he wrestles Big Mac. Well, I think he wrestles like Ron used to wrestle too. Ron Hutchison. Oh yeah, absolutely. yeah. And I'm pretty sure he's on there too. And I've reached out to, I know I've reached out to Ron and yeah. I have kind of sent word through someone else to Big Mac. But I haven't gotten anything back yet, so oh, well, I thought maybe I'd ask you, like, do you know no, about I, Danny I mean, Davis wrestling? No, no, I don't remember that name at all. Like, uh, not as a not in Toronto, anyways. So, yeah, a lot of guys started here, but uh, that's not one that rings a bell. Well, anyway, let's. Uh, I'm I'm gonna. Well, actually, hold on. I, I I have the word mistake written here. Your biggest mistake. My biggest mistake. I don't know. You you said something like I made a, a huge mistake, but I'll talk about that later. Oh, okay. Um, I have to I'll have to go back. Let me think about it. Um, or maybe maybe, we, maybe I waited too long to ask. Yeah, you might have. Because, you know, <laughs> I'm really really old. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, then maybe maybe I'll just maybe we'll just end on this, and it's the whole Zumba thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I am Zumba king. <laughs> yes, you are. Now, you. my wife dragged me to Zumba. A long time ago, 
And I, I posted on social media, real men Zumba. Oh, yes, we do. Um, can't say I've done it. I think I've done it once since, so I don't do it very much. Um, I, I, I want to ask how you got into the Zumba, but is it what was it like, uh, like staying in shape for refereeing thing, or was it just like, uh, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dance with those, with those people there? Well, uh, let's see. I, I belong to World's Gym, and uh, they have classes, and their classes are free. So, um, in my generation, I had a friend of mine from public school come and visit me last week, and I, this actually came up because he said the same thing. He, he used to go down to the gardens. He's the one whose uncle was Bert McKenzie, and we used to go down to the Maple Leaf Gardens because he was the athletic commission to go for free and all that. So he's a wrestling fan, um, and we've remained friends. And um, we were, I was saying, when you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, you didn't dance as a guy. You'd go to the school dance, you'd do not, you know, you basically moved your feet and uh, hopefully you get a hug out of it. And uh, it was a different generation. That was uh, turning on for us. But um, dancing was not a thing. And I look now and I mean, I'm on TikTok. I do TikTok dances. I love doing all that stuff. It's fun. And we weren't really allowed to dance. I was, I never found my, my place because I wasn't really an athlete. I was athletic and I loved athletics, but I wasn't an athlete. Um, um, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a competitive athlete. So when I had an opportunity to dance, I started with probably in my early 60s. And I saw this Zumba thing. So I stood there and just watched them for a whole thing. And I just said, gosh, that looks fun. And then finally somebody said, well, why don't you come in? And I, well, I don't know. So I tried it. And basically, Zumba is from the word, it's actually Zumba, but I, nobody calls it that, which rhymes yeah. with Zumba. It's kind of basically based on Latin dances. But, um, it was very slow because this is, you know, beginning of, you know, 2013, 2014. Um, and now basically it's hip hop and fast. Um, the, the, I have two teachers. One's really into hip hop. One of them's into um, more of an athlete. So it's cardio for one hour. Okay. And I defy a lot of the wrestlers to come and do this for an hour because it, it's, you know, he does it at a fast pace. The Latin dancing thing is not really happening as much. It's more um, totally fitness. Um, I remember I, Rex Atkins teased me one time saying, you know, what do you do in the gym? Do you do burpees? And <laughs> because he was trying to figure out what you do as a referee. But I said, no, it's all about cardio. Yeah. But then I started doing burpees because that made sense going up and down. I said, no, that's not bad. But I mean, it's cardio. That's what it is. I got to keep my cardio. And I'm, I'm 68 and I've got to keep up to a certain extent with an 18 year old. Otherwise, it's going to be Josh Alexander and Eze over again. I don't want that to ever happen again. Where I'm a beat behind, and I was yeah. A beat so I'm trying to keep my fitness up, but I just love it, and um, yeah. So I where does where, how does the Zumba King <laughs> how how does the Zumba King end up in a wrestling ring? Well, I don't know. You don't know why people like you. You just don't know, and Channing Decker, who runs Greek Town Wrestling. The fraternity like me. I don't know why. He says, oh, no, if we're going to do comedy, you're in it. If we're in it. We got this. That, and one day he calls me. And this was before I was trained or anything. He says, we got a rumble coming up. We think it would be hysterical if you entered. And I was like, what? And he says, you know, don't. Wilpr I said, I don't know anything about. I mean, I'm not really a wrestler. I said, you know, 
Um, I was 12 years into the business, more than that, 13, 14 years into the business before I even locked up with anybody. And it was Bia, because I finally said, because we were close friends, I said, you know, I've never locked up. I have no idea how hard you do it or how loose you do it. Okay, well, come here. We'll do a little bit. We'll do some shtick. And I did a little bit of stuff. And uh, so the, the rumble came in. And I'm in the ring, and I, and I did an entrance. So they did music, and I did a Zumba entrance. So on the way in, the guy from TSN, Steve, I cannot think of his name, but he's the announcer there. He whispers to me, who are you? And I said, I don't know. And he said, I said, the king of Zumba. So here he is, the Zumba king, old school. And it got an unbelievable pop. And the idea of it was, I get in the ring, and I'm going to get this a little bit wrong, but as I remember it, it was John Atlas was going to run at me. I move out of the way. He gets caught on the apron. The other bigger wrestler knocks him on the floor. The bigger wrestler was Wardlow from AEW before he was famous. So the whole idea was, now I'm looking around, and at the time, there's little skirmishes in the corner and Kobe's there and, uh, you know, Silesia there and there and there are little skirmishes around the corner. And then the gimmick was that I turn around and see Wardlow and I just run out of the ring there. I'm done. So yeah. I'm in and out in two minutes, got the biggest pop of the night. So it was one of the biggest thrills of my life. I had no idea I was doing this until, you know, a week before where Channing said, bring something you could wrestle in. So that's how that's how unplanned and uh, silly Zuba King was. And then from then on, anytime there was a rumble, I got calls. And uh, you know, actually, the last MCW, I had said to Nick, I said, "I see you have a rumble coming up." But then I changed my mind because I said, "No," because I was just there. Let's leave it. If it if it ever happens, let's make it happen later. You know, I don't want to do it two shows in a row when I haven't been there in two years. So yeah. We might do it, we might not. But that was fun. It was just fun. I'm not a wrestler, and I totally tell the wrestlers afterwards, I apologize if I said I'm not trying to make fun of you. And I said I'm not a wrestler, and I write that on all my social media. So it's I, I'm not trying to do anything silly. Yeah. But. I, uh, I, like, I guess being a bigger guy and stuff, I've been part of quite a few promotions. And I, I'll admit I've taken advantage of it a few times where hey matt you want to get it on the rumble or something like that and it like no because i don't i don't want to insult anyone and it, and it kind of goes back to as like you know old school and kayfabe yep. and stuff like that that as much as i believe i am quote unquote part of the fraternity if you will yep. I, i'm not that part of the fraternity and I would never insult wrestlers by just like, oh yeah, I can be in a rumble. Oh yeah, yeah I can get in the ring. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can wrestle. Yeah. And I, I think about, if, I think because of my age and everything, people knew I wasn't being. I was. It was a novelty. There was a lot of novelty wrestling back in the day, so that was just a novelty. Yeah. Um, I've never announced like ahead of time. It's not like, hey, come see old school in the. In the nobody knows if I'm going to do it or not. Um, Rip Impact is good because there's a, the old system of training is you get a green light if you're, you know, if the, the trainer says, hey, you're good enough to wrestle. So Tyson does that. And I know with Rip, uh, Courage asked me to do a rumble. 
and Rip said, stay with me and let's do some stuff. So when we were training, which I was actually training, I did about 10 or uh, maybe about 16 hours of training with him um, eventually. So we did a little thing there where I actually got to slam him, which I was not, this is, and as I, to the fans, I don't know if you know, matches aren't planned way, way ahead. This was planned three minutes before I went in the ring. And because I'd learned how to body slam. So, and it worked out great. I looked really good. And then Mark Wheeler, by this time, this is probably my third match. I can actually fly out of the ring now. I mean, I can hook my arm on the round the rope and, and go out. So, um, and they had a very low ring at the time. So it worked out really well, but I, I, I don't insult myself. These guys are professionals and, you know, Core, we used to fool around in the backyard and wrestle and pretend we knew what we were doing. And we ended up bleeding and everything else. Leave the professional wrestling to the professionals. They know what they're doing. You will get hurt. You will. I put yeah. Elio Zarlenga in the hospital. Like we were wrestling in the backyard. I put him in a double threat. I guess I did it right. <laughs> but sadly, I put him, I stretched his abdominal muscle that he ended up going to the hospital, as I understand, or a doctor or something. But that's when we were like 18 or 19 playing around. So, yeah. yeah. So they, I do total respect to the wrestlers. I couldn't do what they do. Do you ever wonder what would happen if, well, if... If you give a dad a podcast. Hello, all my beautiful people. Hey, Mom, I'm not going to college like we planned. I'm going to take a couple years off. I just gave all my college money to this uh, professional wrestling promoter. And uh, yeah, I'm going, to be a, I'm going to be a big superstar one day. I, I'm, a, I'm a human and I'm a chiropractor. I wasn't about to call you dad, so... <laughs> I'm what you call a nerd fan. In the Monos Chronicles, the new web series that I'm working on. We inadvertently made that kid cry. We didn't mean to. I mean <laughs> People get really mad at those videos. For some reason, like it triggers really? certain people. Yeah. First tryout, made the team, made starting position. I was right guard for a little while. Hey, Jared, that's where I was going to tell you about. Here it is. It's going to be from a, a nerdy dad's point of view. You're starstruck. It's not a big deal, man. I am being starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> I made a really good career out of being able to bump, sell, and I had a punch me face. That's why they call it if you give a dad a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Available everywhere podcasts are found.